I'm David Mason, the Director of Public Health, and today we are doing uh, PSA number 31. Uh, today we'll be discussing uh, uh, the opening of the school, how we got there, and uh, we have Pam, uh, Pam Gould with us today, the Superintendent of Schools, and Joanne Gake, the Public Health Nurse, and Chief Burke, and we'll start with Chief Burke on our current COVID numbers. All right, good morning, Dave. Morning, everybody. September 18th, Friday. Uh, we do have one positive case, uh, 106 recovered, and the three fatalities. Okay, so uh, one positive case as of today. As of today, correct. As of today, okay. The, uh, as, as I said, we're gonna discuss the opening of the school and uh, how, we, how we got there and initiated the opening. There's been a colossal amount of work that's gone on uh, from the superintendent and her staff in order to get the school opening based on all the guidance that the state has put out. I don't think people uh, really appreciate uh, the amount of time and effort that's gone into opening those school, uh, those school doors. Uh, but in order to get there with the staff, uh, Chief Burke's gonna talk about uh, the testing program we had for the school staff. All right, so uh, we looked at whatever options that we could manageably use that were cost effective. And at the time we, we had access to this antibody test. So that was kind of our first layer. Um, in discussions uh, with the company that did the antibody test, we were able to uh, uh, negotiate getting nasal PCR testing as a comparative to the antibody testing, which was good. And, and again, both of these tests were voluntary. The gold standard is the nasal PCR. I think we all agree with that. Um, and having the ability to have that subsidized and handled by, uh, by the company was huge for us in terms financially. Um, so the numbers were, over a period of time, 329 antibody tests were administered. Out of those 329, we had seven that came back non-negative. Out of those seven, four were already confirmed COVID positive cases from eight, March and April. The remaining three were what they call presumed positive. Uh, there were uh, family members of somebody that was uh, positive, and, but they were not tested. Um, and so we were able to do the uh, antibody testing for them. They did show the IgG antibody, which is the long-term. Uh, they were able to follow up with their physicians. Uh, and then the remaining 322 were negative. Uh, we waited a couple days and then we moved on to uh, voluntary nasal PCR testing amongst the three schools. Uh, we ended up testing 114 staff and they all came back negative, which was fantastic. Um, so at least we have uh, somewhat of a, of a baseline going uh, back to school and opening the doors that those that voluntarily uh, took the nasal PCR, they all came back negative. And we're gonna talk this morning about um, some of the other measures that were put in place. But um, you know, I need to thank uh, my staff. It was a significant amount of work for the paramedics. Uh, I will say the nasal swabbing um, in the gymnasium in early September, 80 degree weather, humidity. These guys were in PPE for four plus hours, um, did not complain once and, and provided the service. So, uh, you know, I'm very proud of them and, and, and the work they've done. And also I wanna thank Dr. Ryan Bemis, who's our public health physician, um, and, and Joanne for kind of overseeing um, the testing and allowing our staff uh, to expand their skill set and, and be able to do this. So overall, I'm uh, pretty happy with how it went. So Chief, you know, the, the testing that you, your department had provided uh, isn't the norm for, for, the, for the schools in Massachusetts. 
No, and I'm, I know Hanover, I work pretty closely with Hanover Fire, their deputy chief and I, when I was deputy, were, were pretty close. They were able to get South Shore Hospital to sponsor their testing, and they had the Broad Institute in Cambridge to do their lab follow-ups. They're the only school district that I'm aware of that had a pretty significant nasal PCR testing program. Um, but again, CARES Act money paid for that. And if you've been following the CARES Act money, Plymouth County got north of $140 million in CARES Act money. Mm -hmm. We weren't as lucky, uh, so they did have that ability to do it. But other than that, the majority of schools over the bridge, I'm not familiar with too many re-entry testing programs. It was not required. Right, right. So I think we need to emphasize that, and it's voluntary. I do know some of the schools on the Cape um, did some antibody testing and had some re-entry. But again, I want to emphasize the test is one thing. The other thing is when you get the individual in front of you to emphasize social distancing, PPE, mask wearing, and, and just to talk to them before they go back in the building. Pam yep. will kind of elaborate on this a little bit, but these folks were out of work for six months. I go to work every day. I've been to work every day since this pandemic. I take it for granted where they're re-entering um, you know, this arena, and it's good for them to hear from public safety and public health professionals that, hey, if you do these things, you know, you're going to be okay, and let's make sure we stay on top of this and keep it at zero. Correct, and just to give them that bit of education before they go in the door, you, you found that very helpful with the, with the uh, municipal employees in the town also when we ran that program for the testing. And we look at that as May 26th, this town has been open for business. The library was a little later, but uh, we have not had any significant impacts from that, and the workers are doing you know, the best they can with, and that's three to four months in now. So I think if we, uh, we keep up what we're doing and, and we follow that model with the uh, public schools and the employees, I think, you know, we're going to be able to manage the best we can. And I just want to back up a bit because you did mention that there were some people that were had positive, you know, that showed they had were positive with antibodies uh, back in from March, April. They're not positive now. Correct. So we're, we're right. just in case someone keyed in on those words, there's not, we weren't allowing positive individuals back into the school. And I will add that they were nasal swabbed. They're one of the, and came part back. of the 114, 114 negative. And that was one of the big things with, when you do antibody testing comparative studies, that's what we wanted to show. You know, and the other thing is the strength of the IgG line is, you know, some were darker than others. And that could be viral load dependent. And they're still looking at that. That's something that the company and the researchers will look at. but. Again, I think it was a good opportunity to have FaceTime with these employees as they come in. We did the testing in their buildings, right? So I think that is, is good. They got to come in and see their classroom. And, uh, and they were able to talk and hear from us and, and say, hey, listen, we've been on the front lines for six months. You do these things that you are supposed to do. And, you know, I think we're going to be we're going to be OK. Control your space. Control your space. The, um, with that, so next was opening the doors. And we have Superintendent Gould here with us. Uh, so how did it go on the first day? Uh, as honestly, as well as could be expected, truly. It's um, I was saying to someone earlier, the idea of these months and months and months of prep for us to see the kids get off the bus healthy, happy. Uh, the teachers were thrilled to have them back in there, uh, that weight of that last six months of planning kind of just took off. So there's stuff we've got to work on, no doubt. Uh, some of the protocols, as we can continue to say to our families, we've never done this before. So we are doing uh, everything that we need to do. We, t we went Tuesday, then we took Wednesday and thir Thursday purposely to be able to reassess, make some changes that we needed to make, and those were used fully. As I had talked to one teacher on Wednesday afternoon, she was heading home about 4 o'clock exhausted, even though there were no kids in the building. 
Um, so that that was huge. I, I commend, continue to commend our town COVID team, especially JJ and his staff and Dave and Joanne, all of you, because I think when JJ is correct, when he talks about that there are very few districts doing what we're doing, very few, I'm out there, I'm at the state level with superintendents and they're not. Uh, I think that gives our staff a peace of mind, but it continues to echo why it's so important what we're doing, uh, because they have seen Sandwich open for business for four months and, and with no repercussions really, and that's huge if you do the things correctly. And, and we'll continue to do that, we'll keep pushing that. Uh, and then we'll continue to echo that partnership that we have and need to have with families. It's not just the student and the teacher now involved. This is the family at home because that child is going home every day to that family. If you do something dumb, that's going to come into our buildings. Right. Um, and so we have to, and we've seen it, you see it on the news, different things that are going on and, and we have to be responsible to each other. Right. And, and there's been discussions and information sent out to the community as far as the community has an impact on the, on the schools. And, and people's behavior does also. You know, we don't want to be like, I'm, I'm not going to list the specific uh, town or school. We don't want to have that parent no, we do not. that is good with sending their child with a, as a known positive into our program. It's almost criminal. You know, we, we have not had that. That has happened in other communities, but we do not want to have No, we that. do not. But as part of that is speaking, you know, to as far as positive cases, it, it, one of the biggest questions that I know that you've, you've teachers have had, mm -hmm. your staff, uh, parents, as far as what do we do, you know, if we have a case, what uh, what uh, creates the closure of a school? And uh, uh, Joanne, the public health nurse, and myself uh, met with you and your principals and your nurse uh, nursing staff uh, to go over that line of communication. And uh, I'll, I'll have Joanne lead with uh, as far as that you know, the discussion on contact tracing. So, you know, it works the same in the school as it does in the community, but you want to elaborate on that? So the only difference is we use the DPH guidelines and we also use this big packet of DESI guidelines. So it's important that the principals, the designated nurse contact and myself um, talk to each other around every case that might come up mm -hmm. so we know exactly who's responsible for what and what the next step is. And the contact tracing would, would be the same as what we do for people in the community. Um, but there's a lot of information that has to be gathered and the school's the best place to do it and that one nurse for each school. So there's, because with the school, I mean, as far as there's two there's two impacts on the schools, and impacts meaning as far as potential closures. There's what's going on in the community, and then there's what's going on in the schools. You know, I'll, I'll just speak to the community part first, as far as, you know, if, if people are not familiar, the governor puts out a uh, mass, uh, a map of Massachusetts and identifies the communities, whether they're in the white or the red, and based on their case numbers, and uh, there's the potential that we could have a number of cases in town that could potentially lead to the closure of the schools, uh, which is based on community spread of the virus. But if we have 10 uh, cases in a nursing home, that's not impacting the schools. So the community cases will be evaluated by myself and Joanne and the superintendent and the Board of Health, you know, to determine how that's impacting the school system. The other scenario is, is what do we do if we have a positive case in the, in the school, in the classroom, and, and how we decipher that. 
And I think people want to know, you know, is there a specific number? And we've all talked about this. Is there a specific number? I know the answer to the question. Yeah, right, right. But is there a specific number? It's, and you can't, the answer is no, because I, as we keep saying, is those people that live in, in a black and white and that's their personality, you literally have to get over that. You have to be able to be okay living in the world of gray because it depends. Uh, and I even, it can depend even at the, at the level of the building you're in because we are far more uh, constrained and cohorted at the elementary levels because of the way the nature of K to six than we are at the secondary, though we've all been in high school, we know how the scheduling works, and in order for us to truly prepare our kids for college, we can't just do a cohort where we limit what they take for classes. That creates a nuance that we're, you have to be prepared for, and so they're much more active right now in contact tracing so that students, we know obviously based on their schedule, students where they are in their classrooms, but if they have to go to an overflow room, if they, whatever, they have to, scan the QR code. That tells you literally what seat you sat in and where you're at. That is going to be, hopefully we'll never need it, but if it were to be a case, that is significant for you guys to be able to ask us questions. Where was that student? Where were they around? Who were they around? And were they longer than the 10, 15 minutes? All the questions that you need to ask, because that will narrow it down. Clearly what we'd prefer to have is not have one case and close down an entire high school. That's insane for all of us. Because who knows what will happen from then. So that's really going to be very important to us. But it means that they're, and part of the reason we ended up going hybrid was that's the only way we could even halfway cohort. You have half your population that way. Um, and, and then we narrow it even further within the, in the well, cohort. Who would have thought last year that you'd have to know the seat number yeah. of every child that is in the school? I, I said to somebody the other day, opening the schools, literally every single thing as an administrator that you could think of that you had to change, you've had to change. Even so much as how many kids are in a bathroom. Yeah. Who think, and when they go to the bathroom. Right. Who would have thought that? Yeah. Right. It, it's that nuanced of everything that we've had to deal with. Um, so let's talk then to, you know, so the public understands and the parents as far as line of communication. Yep. I mean, as far as with the COVID team and, and, uh, and Chief Burke has been the lead on that and we've had, you know, excellent communication Fabulous. through the whole COVID team based on that. You know, so, you know, talk about, you know, we discussed with that meeting as far as how communication will work also. Do you want to talk about that, Joanne, as far as, you know, there's a direct line and we're, and we're communicating with each school. Right, and we've already used this plan of communication. We have um, a designated nurse from each school and the principal, mm -hmm. and if there is an issue, they already know what information they could collect ahead of time. Um, remember, this is new for everybody. Um, then they will be talking with Dave or myself, and we, in fact, will be talking to the team if it's a bigger issue, and we'll decide on the course of action for that particular case. And they're all different. There are nuances to every single case that we have. Um, and that's how we hope to make this efficient and safe for all the kids and the staff in the schools. Yep, so we've established that communication to streamline it so it is effective and, and disciplined also, uh, how we do that. And you know, as far as uh, Superintendent Gould had mentioned also, you know, if we have one case, you know, I think we, we need to, you know, uh, 
separate, you know, an emotional response Absolutely. and a logical response by the protocols that we're following. I mean, the protocols were put in place, as Joanne mentioned, DESE, as far as the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education and the Mass Department of Public Health, those are the guidelines mm -hmm. we're following. I mean, if you have one positive case out there, I will say the reaction is not to close the school. Absolutely not. Uh, you may see that in places occur, but you know, there's, a, there's gu guidelines and steps we need to look at to determine the impact. I mean, we're looking at that individual, the direct contact, right. the classroom, you know, the, the shared classrooms. So we're looking at it step by step to determine to what extent. I mean, as far as closing the school relative to the school environment, we'd really have to establish, do we see community spread occurring within, within the, the school? Right. So that, that'd be a criteria, what that number is. There's no defined number right now. And also, this is viral season. So it's really important for us to kind of hone down to what the issue really is. You can't keep staff and kids out of school because they have a sore throat um, and they sat next to somebody who had a headache. So we have to be very careful when we question these people um, as to what's going on in the family unit and you know the cohort of students they're with. That you know, you're, it, an interesting point as far as you know having those students with during the normal illness. You know, typically in a year, you know, you'd say, you know, I have the sniffles, you know, I have a cough. Get on the bus and ship them off to school. We're hoping this less the year? of that with this, though. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, correct. You still have the mask, but really, is that the year to do yeah. this? Yeah. I mean, I'm asking. I, I, exactly. We we really pr would prefer that. You know, any if you ever experience some type of illness, stay at home. Well, and I think again, we've taken so many precautions in the building. You know, we talked when the teachers first came in. We talked about this of of their fear if a student in my class now has it. So we talk a lot about the contact tracing is not necessarily because we have put all the precautions in place. If I look at a classroom teacher's desk or a classroom space, they have this, they have plexiglass, they have face shields if they choose to use those. So unless you've done something wrong, you literally should be fully protected from that. Um, and you, Dave, I think you've said it to our staff too. It's you will have brought it into the, someone has brought it into the building. You're not getting it in the building. Uh, the buildings are safe. It's just now we all have to take the precautions not to bring it into a building. Um, and if we do everything the way we're supposed to do it, we, we know the flu season's coming up. I'm hopeful that we're less on that no matter what's going on with the flu shot because, again, even the kids, and they were great the first day, great. If they continue to do what they need to do, they'll be less sick. That'll be fabulous for a family. The uh, Chief Burke, too, as far as the... Um drive-through clinic that we had the other day as far as the, the flu shot, and you were talking with people about that. I mean, as far as even for parents at home and the staff, what does that mean? You know, what's the importance of that? Yeah, so again, the, the, the more we can minimize the flu, and this is more selfishly from a hospital point of view, you know, we're trying to decompress the hospitals. We wanna limit the amount of people seeking medical care. So getting the flu shot, wearing your masks, all of these things are all measures that if we can keep the numbers low on the flu, and if we can keep the numbers low on COVID as we go through this um, fall and winter, I think the better off the hospitals are gonna be to be able to handle those cases that need to be handled that are non-COVID, non-flu. And we talked about this in, in one of the earlier PSAs, people not seeking medical treatment due to the fear of getting COVID at the hospital. We need to change that narrative. We need to, these are all things that we can all do to keep the numbers low. So those that need 
uh, acute medical care can receive it and not be worried that they're going to be exposed to something. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to play on this, but I'm going to. So it kind of takes a village to make this work. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there don't like that terminology. There'll be some, but uh, how this all meshes together mm -hmm. is really evident in this situation. You know, from the testing, you know, to the communication, to establishing the protocols, and the request for the community, really, to participate in it. need that. your help. So, and that's right out to the business community and the You're community at large. I think the entire community is a team in this right now. Right. That's the way I'm looking at it. And I'm not sure many have connected those dots. No. And as far as, I mean, we, as far as we talked about this morning in our COVID team, I mean, we, we see what's going, what's going on. The, What's the thing you throw? I'm sorry. Boomerang. Okay, so it, it, the uh, it's brought up as the boomerang effect. Are we going to see it come around? And then how do we protect everyone at this point? You know, as far as what you're potentially seeing and occurring in Europe now. So I think as far oh, and I was going to ask as far as future testing. Also, I know at this point we don't you know have anything on the on the radar at this time. I believe there's funding talks out there. Uh, how does that work? There's a couple things. One, if there is a significant uh, and it's by percentages, and Desi put this out, and the governor did, the state will come in and do significant mass testing at a school, much like they did in the nursing home. And there's trigger points for that, so we defer to the state if that comes up. That's not going to be, we'll assist them, but it's not going to be a, our particular issue. Um, but Dr. Bemis and Joanne are, are our point people on testing research, and and I will say that, you know, Abbott put out an antigen test, $15 antigen test that was well publicized a couple weeks ago. And, and in our research and our communications, we're being told that won't be available till February 2021. So we're trying to find a suite of tests that we can use. We have the antibody, we have nasal PCR, we have contracted with a private lab in case lab issues come up with testing, we have a fallback, so we've secured that. But I think that what Dr. Bemis and Joanna are looking at is this antigen testing that's kind of in between um, to see if we can get something that is way better than antibody testing, slightly below nasal PCR, but it gives us some options. So they're working diligently on that. And in terms of funding, um, we're looking at a couple of different uh, funding streams. And again, our thing is to be prepared. We want to keep government running and operating. So, you know, we've been working on testing in this lab thing since May. Um, and we've, we've got it nailed down now. And I'm glad the state has come through with the testing option, mass testing option for a school. If we have a significant outbreak, that takes a lot of burden off of us and we can, you know, we can pull the trigger on that. So um, it's always been about testing for me um, to have options available. And as we head into the, the fall and winter now, we wanna make sure that we are still um, set up for that. There is uh, state funding that the local delegation here in the Cape is, is working on with um, Cape Cod Healthcare on being able to, and there's a money allotted for testing and, the, and they're working through that. So I think everybody's doing the best they can. We're looking at the best mechanisms we can do. And, and again, having Joanna and Dr. Bemis as our kind of our testing advisors uh, moving forward and they get input from others, I think you know, we're gonna be in good shape. All right, so is there anything else you'd like to add, Superintendent Gould? Oh, it's, it's, we are, if, again, we keep saying this, if, if we do everything we're supposed to be doing, our goal is to stay open the entire school year. That's ultimately our goal. Um, and if, but we need everyone to do their part. Thoughts, Joanne? Yes. Stay home if you're sick. Keep your child home if they're sick until you can evaluate what's going on. You know, call the doctor sooner rather than later and have you or your child tested 
you know, if you think they're getting worse or their symptoms are changing. Okay, so I, and I'll wrap up as far as those of you in the school community and what uh, Superintendent Gould and her staff are doing, it's about adaptation. Uh, they'll be changing as they see the need as, they, as they're moving forward in the school year, uh, that there is a line of communication relative to how to respond to situations of cases and contacts. That line of communication is open uh, between the school and the town. Uh, staff and then as far as uh, evaluating the situation as we go in the community and, and how the school proceeds and we'll we're hoping for a good school year here and uh, be safe and be courteous and until next time thank you